Hello everyone and welcome to the MoPod, brought to you by MoDate, where we discuss everything Mo, from modern orthodoxy to my opinions and more. I'm your host Evan Harris and we have a great guest for you today. Let's get to it. Today we're sitting down with David Magerman. How are you, David? Uh, doing okay. Great. So for our listeners that don't know who you are, could you dive a little into your background? Where are you from and what do you do now? Um, yeah, so I mean, I grew up in Miami, um, but originally a New Yorker, uh, went to school at Penn, uh, did a, uh, an undergrad in computer science and math, and got a graduate, a PhD from Stanford uh, in computer science, and um, worked in natural language understanding in the early days of the field, back in the 80s and 90s, and then went into quantitative trading, worked for a company called Renaissance Technologies, uh, building software systems and doing trading. And then uh, after that, Left there about five, six years ago and have been doing venture investing, investing in uh, startups in the U.S. and in Israel. All right. That's great. And so having you on the podcast today, because obviously a few weeks ago, the tragedies of October 7th happened and you were actually in Israel, right? Yes, I was um, in Israel for Sukkot. Yeah, got it. And so a few days after that, you know, the world was reacting to what happened. And we saw that a lot of universities throughout the United States had a reaction that was not satisfactory for a lot of Jewish students, alumni. And so you went to Penn, as you mentioned, and you wrote a letter to Penn about how you were dissatisfied with their reaction to the massacre and terrorism of October 7th, and also about them still holding a um, a sort of talk. Is that correct? And so just want you to dive in a little bit yeah. deeper into that. I mean, I, I would say I was less disappointed with their reaction as I was disappointed with them, with who they are. And mm-hmm. it really goes back even a few years, looking at the, the uh, enrollment practices, the uh, the way that the campuses have been put together on liberal arts colleges around the country, especially the Ivy League, where they've been uh, accepting fewer Jewish students, frankly, fewer white students, but fewer Jewish students and fewer Orthodox students. Um, and Penn is a place where um, historically they've had a very vibrant uh, Orthodox community, uh, more than enough to have minyanim and celebrate holidays. And over the last five or six years, the population has shrunk to the point that you know, getting a minion every day, three times a day, st- while it still happens, isn't a foregone conclusion. And a- a- as the demographic shift with the incoming classes being smaller and smaller, um, it's probably going to become a problem at some point. Um, and so leading into, you know, a- after seeing that over the last few years, um, in September, um, it was announced that Penn was hosting a Palestine Rights Festival, which is some relatively new organization founded by one of the founders of BDS. Um, and it's supposed to be a literature and arts festival um, focusing on the writings and poetry and other art, art productions of the Palestinian community. Um, but in fact, the speakers at this conference were uh, people, you know, at least 10 people affiliated with Hamas, associated with terrorism, um, you know, very well-known anti-Semites, it was Mark Lamont Hill, it was Roger Waters, um, and it was clearly not a an arts festival. Clearly, it was a um, celebration of Palestine and 
um, you know, the Palestinian aspirations for a state and to eliminate Israel. And um, so some some people in the community, um, in the alumni, alumni and student community uh, complained about it. And the, the Penn's reaction was deplorable. Um, they basically first claimed that they had nothing to do with the conference, even though like 10 or 15 departments were promoting the conference or sponsoring it. Um, and then they said that they um, fiercely defended the free speech rights of the um, of the of the uh, of the people organizing it, even though the people organizing it actually were not students. Most of the people were from off off campus. And it was, you know, not it was not what it claimed to be. It wasn't really about education. It was about politics and it was representing terrorism. So um, I actually quietly told Penn after that conference was announced before, well before Sukkot, that I was no longer going to give to the school because of their uh, the way that they were reacting. Um, and again, it wasn't about public statements per se. It was about who they were, like what the school is and looking around the country at places like Harvard and Princeton and Stanford these schools can dress up their opinions with flowery statements if they're negotiated with Jewish, um, you know, uh, uh, protesters. But ultimately, it's clear what they represent. They represent um, defending the rights of effectively terrorists to speak and to have hate speech uh, and to attack Jews um, without any kind of recourse. Got it. So eventually you did come out with a public statement. And yes, how, how yes. did you how did you decide to to do that? Um, it really was after a week of I mean, I was when I got back from Israel, you know, we flew back as a, a family, we flew back Sunday night. Um, um, we were in Israel for the, you know, for for all day Saturday, uh, of Torah. Um, and uh, then on Sunday, we were kind of like hunker down, bunk, you know, in, in our bunker um, in our apartment waiting to, to leave to go to the airport to leave and missiles had actually been launched at the airport while we were on the plane and they turned the power off on our plane waiting for them to stop shooting missiles so we could take off which was you know both harrowing and kind of I'm thrilled that they that they actually flew because the alternative was to stay and uh mm -hmm. be in be in bomb shelters um so I appreciated being able to fly out but it was a very exhausting experience and I really was kind of shell-shocked figuratively and I guess literally um, for the week. And it wasn't really until Shabbos, the Shabbos after that I had like time to kind of get my thoughts together and to kind of gel my, my feelings that um, American institutions that I cared about, that I had been invested in, that I donated to, did not have my back anymore. They didn't share my values. And the statements that people were, that other donors were making, I thought missed the mark. You know, so there were like certain donors that were um, publicly saying, like effectively negotiating with the school saying, I'm going to quit and not donate until or unless you make a better mm -hmm. statement and set up a commission and form a committee and study the problem and come out with a you know manifesto or whatever it is they're going to have them do. But to my mind, seeing that it was really a mission shift, uh, a mission drift of the institutions away from educating the way they did when I was a student and really shifting towards this very kind of DEI-focused First, first uh, generation students, um, you know, focusing on um, populating the school with a very much more diverse, deliberately diverse population, not really a meritocracy. Um, that mission was not going to was was not going to be affected by statements or committees or commissions or manifestos 
that was the mission of these schools. And I wanted to make a statement, not saying um, I'm breaking up with you unless I just wanted to say I'm breaking up with you. Don't call me. Um, it's not me. It's you. And, um, you know, we're done. And actually, I told them not to reach out to me. And in fact, they haven't. So I guess they took me at my word and I haven't heard a word from Penn since I, I, I wrote the letter, which is fine because there's really nothing. There's no conversation to be had with me. It's really about me breaking up and moving on and hoping to find better institutions to support and be involved with. Okay. And so just for all of our listeners who have not read the letter, I'm just going to read some some quotes from your letter. You wrote, I've been deeply embarrassed by my association with and support for the University of Pennsylvania. If in fact, the University of Pennsylvania as an institution has such a misguided moral compass that it can fail to recognize evil when it is staring us all in the face. I don't think replacing you speaking to the president, right, will accomplish anything. And so you also wrote that you're deeply ashamed of your association with the University of Pennsylvania. You refuse to donate another dollar to Penn. And there's no action, like you said, anyone at Penn can take to change that, that you're not asking for any actions. They have shown you who they are and that your only remaining hope is that all self-respecting Jews and all moral citizens of the world dissociate themselves from Penn. So about that last sentence, where do you think that Jews, you know, in high school right now should be thinking about going like it's you know Penn obviously there was an issue but it happened at a lot of NYU Cornell is is crazy right now Harvard Stanford like you said so where should people where should people go it's very clear to me um starting in like ninth or tenth grade families should be counseled to look at going to school in Israel um, Yeshiva University is building up their program in Israel so that students can attend YU, but actually study in Israel, um, you know, using a combination of the Yeshiva um, under the auspices of Yeshiva University and some of the secular colleges in Israel. Um, it's one tenth the price of the top universities in America. You don't have to pay for all of the SAT prep and all of the work that you do to you know, tidy up your application to, to get into a, a, a top American school. And these days with the way that, that schools are, you know, that with the education provided um, with, you know, TAs and teaching, you know, uh, um, lecturers and video classes and the, the availability of online materials, um, it's not clear that the outcome from a school like Penn or Harvard or Princeton will be that much greater, both in terms of the quality of the education or even the hiring prospects for the graduates in five or 10 years. So um, it seems to me like a no brainer, given what, what Orthodox Jews want for their kids, what, what we want for our children, um, what makes sense, you know, how, how little of a, co a college campus experience they take advantage of. Because so much about going to a, a top school is the socialization and bonding that you do with the excellent classmates supposedly that you're gonna go out into the world with and then 10 years down the road, they're gonna help you in business and you'll help them in business. But the Orthodox community tends to be very insular, it's tribal. Um, and so like my kids have gone to um, uh, Penn and uh, they have really mostly associated with and become, become close with the other Orthodox kids in the school. Um, if that population is shrinking, um, that's gonna become less and less of a value and the schools in Israel, especially if we all up and send our kids there, it'll be that same population just in a place where there is no anti-Semitism, 
Uh, there is a, a much higher quality of Jewish life, support for uh, Torah observance, uh, adherence to the, the, the Jewish calendar. And again, did I mention it's one-tenth the price? Okay, so I've heard this opinion, and I want to hear your thoughts on it, that people that are in these schools right now, some believe should should not, Jew, Orthodox Jews who are in these schools right now, should not leave because then they are, I don't want to say giving up, but they're kind of like almost letting the other side win by them just expelling themselves from the institutions. What are your thoughts on that? In my opinion, and this captures a lot of what I feel like the, the, the response has been to um, the, 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 the war, the attacks. It's a very post-Holocaust mentality. Um, we have in, in, in the, uh, you know, in America, in Europe, in, in the post-Holocaust era, we have been kind of clawing our way into society. We've been, um, anti-Semitism has kept us out of institutions, country clubs, jobs, colleges, and we have fought our way in by being, you know, against being deprived of access. Today, not only is that not true, but we are actually the asset that they need. If you took away all of the Jewish faculty, all the Jewish students, all the Jewish donors, and the Jewish alumni from these schools, they would be significantly different spaces. They would have um, a significantly lower quality of product, lower quality of reputation. There's so much about the, what Jews have done for these schools that we are the asset. We we are the value. The school is not the, the it's not it's not one direction. And given how they're treating us, and given the direction that they're going in, we're leaving because of them, not because we're being kicked out or because they're winning. We're leaving because they're losing. They've, they've, they've become places that are not welcoming and appropriate for us to be. And if they were doing nothing else, we should still leave because we can go to institutions that share our values, that still respect God, still respect a higher power, uh, an absolute morality, an absolute value system, and will also value our presence, value our money, value our intellectual contributions. So I think I think like, you know, I understand the idea that if a student's already there, my, look, my, my son is still at Penn and, you know, I've, I've permissioned him to say, you know, you do what you do, what you want to do. If you if you want to stay, you should stay. If you want to leave, you should leave. Um, I have no issue either way. Um, and I said, take it year to year. But the the issue with the students in general is that they should make a decision collectively. Obviously, if half the kids leave, it hurts the other half the kids. Mm -hmm. And so there's a sense in which they should be aligned and try to work together. Uh, you know, kids went to Penn because there were a lot of Orthodox kids at Penn. If half of them up and left, that would change the calculus and hurt yeah. them. But I do think that that there is a, a real, uh, we're, we're undervaluing ourselves by making that statement. And we should have more self-respect and more more uh, a, a more realistic look at the world um, if we up and left and went to um, a Technion or or a uh, Hebrew University or a Bar Ilan, um, those schools might might be a lower tier in some ways than the Ivy League schools are now. But I promise you, if we took our money and took our faculty and took our students there, they would very quickly become excellent schools if if they aren't already. Gotcha. And so we've seen other statements, you know, similar to yours, maybe not as strong as what you were saying, maybe not the don't call me back kind of statements, but we've seen other statements along those lines. And so since you're probably in touch with 
other donors at these schools. How many people are really pulling their donations? Are you seeing that it's like a good majority of the people you know in Orthodox circles who donate to these schools are pulling their donations or is that not really the case? It's not. I mean, first of all, it's not the Orthodox. It's really it's more the secular Jews that are posturing to pull Mm -hmm. their donations. But there's also a sense in which they haven't actually necessarily pulled any money at all. They basically said the next time I was planning on giving you a gift, I'm not going to. Um, They've already given what they've given. You know, you don't you don't have like I mean, there there's annual giving which is usually at yeah. a smaller level, but like the the more you know sizable capital gifts happen when there's a capital campaign, when there's a project to do. Um, I was going to be honoring a, a professor, a mentor of mine that had passed away last year with a fellowship program, and I was going to give a quarter million dollars to the school to fund that fellowship program. I told them because of this 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 incident, because of the Palestine Rights Festival, um, I was re- re- refusing to give that gift. And backing away from that commitment, so I've actually cost two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But all these other donors have basically said, "I'm not going to give gifts in the future." And we don't know if they were planning on giving specific gifts. We don't know if they're going to renege on any outstanding pledges that they have, and so on. So I, I think that we have to like we should wait and see what the actual economic impact of this is. Um, it's right now it's really just PR. Gotcha. So we don't actually know if what's going to change so do we do you think that these schools will be impacted at all by the pulling of these i mean you mentioned penn is losing out on two hundred fifty thousand dollars, but do you think <laughs> like the scale the scale of these lack of donations is going to impact the schools that are going to change anything not only do i not think it will but i think actually it will um ease their burden they've been taking a lot of money illegally um of undocumented donations from um, from foreign governments, from Middle Eastern governments, from authoritarian governments. And um, there's a research report that's actually going to come out this week documenting the direct correlation between colleges that accept undocumented donations from authoritar- authoritarian governments and significant increases in anti-Semitism in those campuses and in communities near those campuses. Um, so basically, um, when we stop giving them money, um, Qatar and other other Middle Eastern countries will just simply give them more and accelerate the process of transforming the culture of the campus to be more anti-Semitic and more more anti-Israel. So on that topic, I actually saw an article about that, the Qatar giving money to these institutions. How how do you what do you think Qatar is asking for in return? Like, do you think that Qatar is asking these institutions to you know, peddle these ideas? Like, how do you, what do you think is actually going on? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of clear that it, it's, it, it impacts hiring. It impacts, you know, the, the faculty members that get hired, the the money behind certain departments gets enhanced so they can hire better faculty, more faculty, um, increase the budgets of the of the departments to do more, to have more students. Um, they, it can impact um, the, the research directions, the, the, uh, the papers that people write, the messaging um, on certain topics. Um, it's had a significant impact on the Jewish studies department at Penn. Um, you know, they, they're really, you know, calling it a Jewish studies department, I think is a really, really a stretch at this point. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of evidence that, you know, again, there's correlation. So the papers, the papers that you've read or the articles you've read have talked about the money going in, mm-hmm. but it hasn't demonstrated the statistical significance of the impact of that money 
on anti-Semitism. That's what's going to come out this week. And it's three and a half times more um, anti-Semitic incidents on campuses that accept accept significant money from Middle Eastern governments wow. or, or Middle Eastern uh, um, sovereign wealth funds. Um, and Penn is the fifth largest recipient of authoritarian um, regime money. Um, and Cornell is the top recipient of Middle Eastern money. So you can see the places where we're seeing all these permissioning of um, pro-Palestinian activism and not punishing people who are, who are doing effectively hate crimes against Jews on campus. These are the places where this kind of money is coming in. And you, the, the stories are talking about the governments and the, uh, the countries that are giving the money. The question you have to ask is why are the universities taking the money, taking it in the way they are, undocumented, illegally, quietly, why are they inviting this influence? It, you know, the, and my answer is that it's because this influence aligns with their mission. Their mission is to transform the messaging of their campus to be more aligned with this, you know, pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel, anti-Jewish sentiment that fits in with their view that Israel is the oppressor, Israel is evil, Israel is an occupier. Um, they're they they're civil rights violators and human rights violators. Like that's the that's the messaging that's that's consonant with the mission of the school. And so, getting funding that enforces that is good for them. And frankly, getting money that fights against it is bad for them. So, in some sense, we're doing them a favor by by pulling our money because it gets rid of the problem of having to appease the donors with messaging. Who who creates this mission though? Like, if it's the school's mission to believe Israel's the oppressor. Who who started this mission? Who created this mission? Why is it does it seem like it's the majority of schools? You know, you see the the letter from from the president of the University of Florida and you're like, wow, like that's great because other presidents of schools aren't saying things like that. So who do you yeah. think creates that mission? Um I don't know if you realize that that you know Jews are hated in the world. Mm -hmm. So you know I, I read something about it like in two thousand years ago. Um, it's been kind of a, a persistent problem in, in the last few millennia. Um, there is what, what, I, what I'm calling axiomatic hate, that it is an axiom throughout society that Jews and Israel are, are evil. Um, and it's gone back to the, the Middle Ages, to the Dark Ages, the Black Plague, um, you blood libels, um, you know, the Jews killed Jesus. There's a, an endless history of axiomatic hate, where it doesn't matter what the facts say. It doesn't matter how many humanitarian missions um, the IDF sends people around the country to rescue people from dis natural disasters and all the humanitarian things we do with our Red Cross and, you know, the Magen David Adom, like all the things that we do in the world, the way we we, we treat our enemies' illnesses, um, we, you know, we, we, whatever we do can't overcome the axiomatic hate. If you find some facts that contradict your axioms, you presume the facts are wrong. And so I think all the messaging we're doing now, like people trying to convince the anti-Semites that we're not so bad or that we're actually good is, is a pointless endeavor. You know, mm -hmm. they're trying, the mission is to, to act on their axiomatic hate for Jews. And it, I'm not saying everyone hates Jews, but enough people axiomatically hate Jews to build up a, um, base of support for creating this mission at liberal schools to 
um, create the messaging that reinforces it. It's kind of like when, when I was in college, um, there was uh, protesting against, against South Africa, South African, um, you know, abuse of the black population, apartheid. And, you know, there were organized activities against, uh, um, you know, di divestment and all that. And that was, I believe, I still believe, leg a legitimate fight against a tyrannical government and uh, um, a totalitarian regime that was oppressing the majority um, or oppressing, oppressing anybody. Um, that narrative is what they're trying to use um, now for Israel. It's completely baseless on, on, on the facts. But again, if you have axiomatic hate, facts don't matter. And so I think that's where these schools are getting this mission and they're Put, they're taking in money, they're transforming their faculties, transforming their curricula to reinforce this message. Got it. And so I just have one last question. I really appreciate you taking the time today. So this axiomatic hate, and you mentioned trying to convince people, it can can be pointless at times because they're, this axiomatic hate exists. So what would you say the the person who is not currently serving the IDF you know, doesn't have the ability to stop donating to one of these organizations should do right now. Because what a lot of people are doing to try to join the fight per se is posting on social media. And that does seem like a lot of it is, you know, trying to convince people. So I'm wondering, what do you think people like myself should be yeah. doing right now to try to join the effort? I, I think I, I look at the, our role in terms of commandedness and intentionality. Um, we all have uh, a godly mission. We all have something, some something that we're here to do. And you know, hopefully, God willing, in our, in our young young adult lives, we figure out what it is. And we should play, try to play the role that God had for us in our in our lives, and and uh, you know, be commanded. But we also should also should act as much as we can with intentionality. Um, we should not frivolously give to things that come across our plate. We should not take jobs or do things or, or join clubs, you know, kind of without without thought. We should be intentional and find destinations for our time, for our energy, for our money, for our focus that align with our values. And if we can act with intentionality, then we will reward institutions that are aligned with our values and we will starve institutions that are against our values. Um, and and I, again, I mean that not just in terms of money, but in terms of our intellectual contributions, our presence, our social presence, um, our support just with, with our essence, with who we are. And if we will you know, act with intentionality and avoid businesses that don't align with our values and uh, don't work for companies that don't align with our values, um, don't have friends or you socialize in groups um, that don't align with our values. Um, you know, I think those are things that we everyone can do that will have a transformational effect on the parts of society that we're in. It won't change the greater world. We're not going to change America, but we can change our communities. We can change our families um, and our circles, and we can change Israel um, with our with our intentional engagement with life there. All right. Thank you again, David, for coming on the Mopod. Pump the Thanks,